Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, to review a little bit more, the Packers 22-0 victory over the Buffalo Bills from Sunday. One aspect we didn't get into too much on yesterday's show was with regards to the turnovers the Packers had on defense and specifically HaHa Clinton Dix's interception. It's now his third interception in three consecutive games. And while the first two would probably qualify as rather easy, almost gift wrap type of interceptions, the one he had on Sunday against Buffalo, that was one heck of a play. It really was. I, I thought Larry McCarron probably had the line of the day. Uh, in the group huddle where everyone was talking to Clint Dix, he said probably had to be one of the more physical interceptions you've had uh, <laughs> during your career. And and I just love the play for a number of reasons. One, obviously his third interception in three games, that's a headline in and of itself. But so many times, and we've seen it come up this season, the, the Chicago game was a good example of it, where people pull up the still frame of a wide receiver or a tight end wide open. And, like, how, how did Trubisky not throw this? I don't know if you remember it. There was yeah. a big thing on social media during week one. I thought the Kelvin Benjamin play was very similar because it's really easy to look and see a guy open, but you also have to understand where the, where the help is, where the defensive backs are. By the time that – and Josh Allen has a great arm. By the time he was able to get that ball into the orbit of Benjamin, you have Ka Clinton Dix ranging in center field and makes a great play on the ball. A lot of questions about the contact of it. Should there have been a flag, not a flag? There's no flag because he played the ball. If you right. go to the letter of the law of the NFL, the defensive back, at least how it used to be called, has just as much of a right to that football as the offensive player. Clinton Dix goes up, makes a great play. Third interception of the season, and for him and that secondary, talks so much, Mike, about trying to get the big plays and in momentum-changing moments in games. Ha, Clinton Dix now through the, the first four games of the season leading the NFL tied for the lead in interceptions right now. Yeah, he's coming off of a season in which he had three interceptions all year in 2017, so he's already matched his total from last year. He had five in his Pro Bowl year of 2016, so on his way potentially to a career high. And I tell you, that that collision with Kelvin Benjamin, that was, uh, as as Larry said, that was a pretty physical <laughs> Collision, and he's he's giving up probably what thirty pounds totally. to Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, Benjamin is no small receiver. Clinton Dix comes in at two oh eight. Let's see what Kelvin Benjamin comes. I want to say he's around two forty. I mean, he's a he's a two forty five. Yeah, he's a big yeah. receiver. So that was <laughs> the uh, tight end. yeah, um, that was that was quite the uh, and j just the fact that not only did he make the play on the ball, yes. but then he hung on to it right. as well to get that interception. So um, it's funny because you hear you know when you talk about. Again, this is potentially a difference between the veteran quarterback, the young quarterback in the NFL. How many times have we heard Aaron Rodgers talk about, you know, how he reads a safety's feet? You know, when a safety's feet are, are parallel to the line of scrimmage, flat-footed in a certain instance, then he knows he can get a throw out there. Whereas if Ha Clinton Dix, for example, is already breaking on the ball, as you say, a still shot might show, oh, that guy looks wide right. open. But a, a, a safety who's already anticipating that throw and making that break is going to close that gap in a hurry. That's what he did on that play. And uh, um, a good sign for the Packers because this defense obviously wants to uh, get on a bit of a roll here if they can with taking the ball away. Yeah, totally. And that interception, you look at where the game was at at that point in time, 
It's the third quarter. The Packers just got the 36-yard field goal from Crosby, which doubled up their scoring opportunities after he got the 52-yarder at the end of the first half. Right. Buffalo, man, they're coming back. They have their second-half game plan ready. They're trying to make adjustments, and Clinton Dix just shuts out that light right away. Yeah. I have to imagine that you talk about a lot of momentum you know, turning planes in the game. I just think that that was the play specifically that really reiterated, okay, we finished the first half strong. We played well in the first half. Now we're going to carry it over and try to make that leap towards a strong second-half performance to get that full 60-minute kind of showing that Mike Penton was looking for. And also the other thing to keep in mind, too, we're four games into the season. You have Clinton Dix now with three picks. You have a guy like Jair Alexander who, in his mind, has three picks, <laughs> uh, even though the stat sheet might only say one. Josh Jackson has been really around the ball and physical. I think Tremont Williams is off to a phenomenal start for a guy that's been asked to basically play exclusively boundary cornerback at 35 years old through the first four weeks of the season. There's a nucleus there, and certainly they want to get Kevin King back, and you have to hope that that groin injury is okay and and isn't going to be something that keeps Alexander off the field for an extended period of time. But throwing in you know Jermaine Whitehead – there's a lot of positive things happening right now in that Packers secondary. Yeah, needing to uh, potentially adjust again to some injuries, as you said, with Alexander exiting the Buffalo game. Kevin King has been out now for a couple weeks with his injury. Also some injuries on the offensive side of the ball for the Packers. Uh, Geronimo Allison in the concussion protocol. Randall Cobb missed the uh, the last game against Buffalo with a hamstring injury. So we'll see what happens with those guys as the week goes along. But when you look at heading into, say, for example, if it's a worst-case scenario for Aaron Rodgers on offense and you don't have either Cobb or Allison for Detroit this upcoming week, kind of points to maybe the all of these guys the Packers have at tight end potentially playing a bigger role here. We saw Jimmy Graham get his first touchdown catch as a member of the Green Bay Packers. We haven't seen Mercedes Lewis a whole lot in the passing game yet. Maybe that's coming? Maybe. I I know there's a real big group of Packer fans out there that want to see it. (laughs) I'll be honest with you, I really like Lewis a lot. I've enjoyed the interactions we've had with him. He's a really well-spoken individual, uh, understands his place in the locker room as a veteran and at this juncture of his career. (laughs) But Packer fans, man, they just feel like this is just a guy that's just waiting to be unleashed (laughs) uh, on the defenses. And, you know, I thought one positive that came out of that game, and I understand I think he only played one at around 20% of the offensive snaps, but they actually did have some packages drawn up for just Lewis. It wasn't like he was coming in as the number three tight end always. They did some things with just with him. So I think as you put that on film and you set up some of those run packages and defenses start to you know, kind of zone in on him and be like, okay, well, Lewis is in here. Is that a sixth offensive lineman situation? Can we really build in the box? Yeah. As he said right from the get-go, he still enjoys me being able to make secondaries and, and second-level defenses pay for kind of sleeping on him. Uh, but certainly, I think with those two guys, you're not sure what's going to happen with Cobb and Allison. We saw them go to a lot of two tight end looks uh, in that second half, especially. So uh, we'll be very interested to monitor where that where that heads. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, before we move on here, Wes, a little bit of sponsor business because it is time to enter the Cousin Subs Best Seats in the House promotion. You and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. Enter daily now through December 16 by completing the entry form and submitting. For complete rules and eligibility, go to Packers.com slash best seats. Cousin subs, we believe in better. Okay, looking ahead here, what we've seen in these these first um, handful of games for the Packers, 
starting to see some young players emerge. And this is something that we know how it works in Green Bay. It's a draft and develop type of team. You want to see young players who, you know, maybe don't have a huge role at the start of the season. They might be asked to be playing a bigger role as the season goes along. We've talked a lot about Geronimo Allison. He's definitely a guy who has stepped up in that fashion. Unfortunately, he's, uh, he's in the concussion protocol now. But Kyler Fackrell with the three sacks against the Buffalo Bills. Jermaine Whitehead, we're seeing him show up in some of these blitz packages of uh, of Mike Pettens where he's gotten a couple free runs at the quarterback based on how things have been schemed up. And on the offensive side, rookie receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling first kind of making a name for himself, so to speak, as a gunner, replacing Jeff Janis as the number one gunner on the punt team. But then also after a mistake in the second half on a ball that almost gets picked off that, that Rodgers throws, he comes back and makes a big play down the sideline to move the chains right. in the fourth quarter and keep the Packers in possession of the ball. So we're seeing some young players you know, start to get their feet under them, so to speak, here in the NFL. Yeah, I want to start on Valdez-Scantling, Mike, and, and it's for two reasons. The first one is he's put himself in this position to be the next man up. He had a really strong preseason. Uh, you go back and I think you look at the production he had. He had a 100-yard game under his belt. There's certainly an explosive element to his game, which we saw uh, in that win over the Bills. Uh, he needs the, you know, the, the route tree is a part of this, getting on the same page is a part of this with Aaron Rodgers. But as far as pure straight line speed, we saw how he's just able to defeat a, a cornerback if they're not getting help over the top. That 38-yard pass, him looking that in, getting the separation, I think gives you an, an idea of what he offers as a potential downfield threat in yeah. his development. But also the gunner position is important too. Now they did get back Josh Jones. He did that role last year. He played 15 special team snaps in this, but... I think you've seen Valdez-Scantling, mind you, this is a guy that has been strictly a receiver in college. He was often the top receiver, you know, in, in at USF, and then before that, you know, working over at uh, NC State. Now he's getting a chance to sort of get his feet wet with special teams for the first time. We saw him take a few kickoffs the first few weeks of the season. Right. But that gunner spot, Mike, that had been opened up with Jeff Janis and, and leaving in free agency, he has 4-3-4 speed. And he's able to detach from those those jammers. It's off to the races from that standpoint. When you look at what J.K. Scott can do with his hang time and the emphasis he puts on that, didn't see it as much in this game. Mostly because the Packers didn't have to punt that often. But that's certainly an element to Valdez Scantling's game. When you look at a young rookie receiver and trying to say, okay, this is how you get on the field. He's doing all those steps right now making contributions on special teams and waiting for his turn on offense. Yeah, and when you talk about that turn on offense, obviously, as we mentioned previously, with Cobb and Allison, their status for this week a bit uncertain at the moment. We'll see if some of those rookie wide receivers are going to uh, need to step up. And look, Valdez Scantling is not the first young wide receiver to catch the wrath of Aaron Rodgers in the middle of a game. I mean, it happens to almost all of them at Devontae some point, Adams, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. So... This is uh this is this is a growing moment. It's a learning moment and the fact that he came back in that same game and when Rodgers laid it out there for him on the 38-yard pass down the sideline, he made the catch, he made the play. That's that's a big step for a, a young receiver because now he doesn't not that you just completely flush away what happened when you made the mistake and you didn't come back to the ball on uh, that back shoulder type of throw when Rodgers was trying to convert on fourth down. 
but he doesn't have to spend all week just thinking about that play. He's also got a big play yes. that he made on the positive side of things, and uh, he could uh, he could end up playing a bigger role on Sunday in Detroit. Marquez Valdez-Scantling played 54 snaps in that game, Mike. Jimmy Graham played 54 snaps in that game, Mike. <laughs> I mean, he, he had a role with Randall Cobb not being available. Yeah. And I asked him that in the locker room on Monday, and he said, yeah, there's a lot of experience to be gained for that because practice helps, and certainly you go through training camp. But until you're in those situations, and when you're in the trenches with a two-time MVP quarterback, everything changes. And to your point about him you know, kind of catching some heat there, he mentioned the problem on that play was he didn't fight back to the ball. That's right. what he needed to do. That's what Rodgers was asking him. And Rodgers, as he said after the game, probably said some things that were uh, not too, was it not too uh, kind or however yeah. he worded it, because the stakes are so high, Mike. Yeah. If, if Valdez Scantling doesn't fight back to the ball and that ends up being a pick six, the game changes. Completely. The momentum changes. Yeah. It is a game of protecting the football. What did I say all last week? Protect the football, the three <laughs> keys for that game. Right. And that was one area where you have to, if, if Rodgers is going to throw you that ball, you have to be there and be accountable. Fortunately for Valdez-Scantling, something, a teachable moment, a learnable moment, and was able to come up with a big play. I think you saw a lot from that young man of what he can offer this team with his raw talent as he works with you know Jim Hostler and, and David Rye and trying to hone that position. Now. Yeah, and on the defensive side, as we've discussed in the past, with a lot of defensive backs, versatility certainly comes in handy. And we're seeing that right now with Jermaine Whitehead yep. and what Mike Pettin is asking him to do in terms of you know, playing a little bit of hybrid linebacker, playing a little bit of maybe slot corner. I don't even know exactly what you'd label him right now in uh, in this defense, but he's on the field quite a bit. And uh, and a lot of times when we've seen him, you know, get the call to go after the quarterback, he's getting home. He's a smart football player that loves the game. And, you know, he lets his play on the field doing the talking. He's not the kind of guy that's going to sit on his locker and hold court about you know, what he thinks about himself or, you know, what he thinks about how he fits into this defense. He just goes and does his job. Very unassuming individual. And yeah. almost to the point that when the Packers signed him and brought him in as an undrafted free agent two years ago, you sort of forget that he was invited to the Combine. He was a jack-of-all-trades type player at Auburn. Uh, this is a guy that, you know, Haha Clinton Dix is very familiar with based on their ties to the SEC. And the Packers saw it. You know, Joe Witt and Jason Simmons have talked about what he offers in, in terms of being able to really fill those shoes that, you know, a guy like Morgan Burnett uh, sort of vacated when mm -hmm. he moved on and signed with the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. In this day and age, Mike, it's not just about inside-outside versatility for guys that are maybe number four, five, six on a depth chart. You have to be able to play in the box at an inside linebacker position, too. Whitehead has done that consistently in basically all four games, the second half of the last two games, and is accountable. Uh, made a play as a blitzer in those packages. So, you know, he's not just a body rushing into a, a brick wall. I mean, he's a guy that's going to be able to, to make some plays for you. So, again, we're going to have to see how everything shuffles out with Alexander, see if Kevin King is back in the fold. But depending on how that secondary looks and where the injuries stand going into Detroit, Jermaine Whitehead, once again, as he's already had a role in this defense, could be in for some more responsibility as well. Yeah, and hats off to Kyler Fackrell for his three-sack game in uh, all three sacks in the fourth quarter, actually, yeah. of, uh, of that Buffalo Bills game. Uh, a guy who, I, 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 I say young guy, but in terms of experience, obviously we know when he was drafted he was a little bit older <laughs> than your traditional college graduate. But 
a guy who's coming along. The Packers continue to ask him, you know, to be one of those rotational guys, that outside linebacker, and to make an impact when he's in there, not just fill somebody's shoes, you right. know, n- not just fill a spot, so to speak. So, um, and, and it was interesting, too, because Mike McCarthy mentioned that maybe his best play wasn't even one of the three sacks, but it was a play where he chased down Josh Allen on Huge a scramble. Play. And uh, Allen only got, what was it, two yards yep. maybe um, on that because because Fackrell was able to prevent him from really getting away. So um, Yeah, if Fackrell doesn't get him there, they, was actually, they were facing a second and 18, but if you go back and look at that play, if Fackrell doesn't get him from behind there, it's off to the races. Josh Allen has an open field ahead of him in a lot of different ways that he could take the football. Yeah. So maybe even if he doesn't get the first down, he's going to make it third and short. Yeah. Unfortunately for Fackerel, he's able to trip him up and end up being like third and 15 or something. Yeah, that was uh... – those, I mean, it was interesting because it seemed that all for all the problems the Packers have had in the down and distances through the first few weeks of the season, it was as though the script was flipped because yeah. it was Buffalo that was facing a lot of the difficult down and distances on Sunday, and and really that's how the Packers just st- stayed in control of the game. It, it's it sounds silly. You can look at third down conversions at the end of the day as a stat. But how many yards you need to get on third down is such a huge factor in Absolutely. what your conversion percentage is. And it just it felt like for all the third and longs the Packers had been dealing with uh, through September, the third and longs were all on Buffalo's side. This yeah, time. Buffalo was 3 of 16 in this game, 19%. Conversely, the Packers 11 of 19, 58 yard, or 58%. We heard Mike McCarthy talk all week long about having to, to win first and second down, having yeah. to you know be more productive on those, those downs. They were able to do that. And also to throw one more note in about Fackrell, whatever the outside perception is, and I know there are times where he he catches some heat from people, but you could tell listening to Clay Matthews in the locker room afterwards just exactly what 51 means to that room and that defense. As he said, there's a lot of things that Fackrell's asked to do that complements what he and Nick Perry do. Uh, He is a very versatile body. He's a very athletic body. He can drop into coverage. He can take on a tight end for some steps if they need him to. He does fit what the Packers want to do really well defensively and fortunately for him you know with the couple changes they made especially in the late in that game with him moving over and rushing against the right tackle was able to have some success yeah all right well before we go I just want to uh get into a little bit of where things stand in the NFC I know late last week we talked about the Rams and them being 4-0 we talked yesterday about the Bears and being on top of the uh NFC North what uh, what do you think is going on right now, or where are things headed in the NFC South? Because nobody would have expected the Atlanta Falcons to be where they are at yeah. one and three right now, losing on a essentially a last second touchdown pass at home to the Cincinnati Bengals. AJ Green made a heck of a play there to win that ball game for Cincinnati. But uh, you know, New Orleans seems to have completely bounced back from their week one uh, showing against Tampa Bay when right. they fell. Carolina also seems to be right in the mix. Uh, th- that NFC South, really interesting division. It, it always is. Yeah. Uh, and in Atlanta, if you look, especially since, what, it was their 5-0 and start a couple years back, they've actually sort of been slow starters, it seems like. Last year they kind of had a rough time trying to find their footing in the first half of the season, eventually did. Yeah. Uh, but, but certainly... Uh, it's funny, the New Orleans Saints, man, no matter how much things change, they stay the same. And <laughs> the, the blueprint has pretty much always been the same there, regardless of who the defensive coordinator is. They're there to do one thing, and that's to outscore the opposition. And sometimes they're going to do it, sometimes they're not. But they're going you know, to die on their sword trying. 
Um, the other thing that's interesting too, just because we get all these pundits at the beginning of the year, and I'm and I'm guilty of it too at times. But everybody's trying to project how things are going to look, who's going to be fitting where. Well, if the playoffs started today, Mike, you know, a whole four weeks into the season, the Packers would be in as a wild card. You have Chicago and Washington leading their divisions though right now. Washington, I think, is really interesting because once again. The question has been said time and time again about Jay Gruden and, and with this offense and, you know, people just wondering what the upside is there with them. Well, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles already took two losses. Mm -hmm. Washington is still a really good football team. I think that's the one thing in that Packers loss a week ago that people uh, didn't quite give enough credit to Washington. They did some really good things that football team, and they were able to incorporate a lot of these veterans they brought in. I just think between the East and the South – Especially, it's going to be really interesting to see which teams are able to sustain the consistency side of things. Right. Who's I think, going to be the team that maybe clamps down a little bit defensively in the South and in the East? You know, the Eagles trying to, you know, be the team that everybody feels that they are. Yeah, I think I think the consistency is really what's going to play out, especially in the NFC East, because I think the Eagles are going to get it going. I know mm -hmm. they just they lost a tough game to Tennessee this past week, and um, I'll. I'll say this. I, I take nothing away from Washington beating the Packers. I'm not a believer in that Washington team. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a believer in them. If, if they prove me wrong, so be it. I'll say so. But Jay Gruden's tenure for me has just been way too inconsistent. And um, I, I, just, I think the Packers just honestly had a terrible day. I, and I, and I, I think Green Bay is better than Washington. Mm -hmm. Didn't show it on that day, and Washington got a victory. Hats off to them. But uh, I think the Eagles are still going to be the team to beat in the Sure. East. Yeah, and I think I would agree with you, too, as far as the Eagles being the, the number one contenders there, so to speak. The thing I like about Washington, though, is between everything that was made out of the quarterback situation, actually Alex Smith is probably the guy that fits what Jay Gruden does better just because he protects the football a little bit better than Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Certainly doesn't have the 4,000. 600 yard passing type seasons right. he had one i think but i mean for the most part is is sort of you know always takes precedent over making sure that he's smart with the football the de if the defense can keep up there and that's a big if yeah but i mean that is their that is their path to the playoffs that's their path to having success we'll yeah. have to see how it works out all right well with that we are going to call it a wrap on this edition of packers unscripted be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on packers.com on twitter he's at west hot i'm at mike spofford at packers for the team account, thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.